0: I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly, provocative talk radio. More than
1: half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the team in my cabinet, more than half the women in, in my administration
0: are women. Lars. Our beloved Lars. republic, it's in the hands of madmen. This is
1: a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat,
2: Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show and welcome to Wednesday on what we call honestly provocative talk radio for America. It's a pleasure to be with you in this new year. And if you want to join what we call the best conversation in talk journalism, it's always right here at 866. Hey, Lars, that's 866-439-5277. If you call in as a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. You want to send an email instead? We make that memorable. Talk at LarsLarson.com. And if you want to vote in our Twitter poll, we put up a different question every single day from the news of the day, and then we see what you vote on it. Yesterday, I asked you this. Should the plagiarist president of Harvard have been fired or allowed to resign? She was allowed to resign. Claudine Gay is now telling anybody who will listen, she was fired from the president's job as a result of her skin color. Now, she wasn't getting much. She was previously the Dean of Arts and Sciences at Harvard. She was making about $879,000 a year. Well, as president, she'd make 900000 a year. So she basically got a $21,000 annual cut from an almost $900,000 paycheck. Doesn't sound like much of a loss. And she was allowed to resign instead of being fired for 50 alleged cases of plagiarism. And of course, for the crazy things she said on Capitol Hill, defending anti-Semitism on the Harvard campus, which I might point out to you, the Harvard campus, you might think, well, it's a private university, Lars. Why do we care about this? Well, Harvard produces an awful lot of Supreme Court justices. Harvard also produces an awful lot of American presidents, but it consumes about two thirds of a billion dollars of American tax money. And you say, Lars, it's a private institution. Why are they getting federal tax money? They get government grants, they get uh, paid for doing research and things like that. The total amount. Last dollar figure we could find, which was last year, uh, the last full fiscal year, $625 million, not quite two-thirds of a billion dollars of your money and my money is going to Harvard. Now, in that case, I'd like to know which member of Congress is going to be the first, probably a Republican, to stand up and say, why are we sending two-thirds of a billion dollars of the people's money to a corrupt institution like Harvard? that would put a an identified plagiarist in charge of the university that would come in and defend anti-semitism on campus. Why in the world are we sending that kind of dough to that institution? And then add that to the fact that Harvard has a gigantic endowment, billions and billions of dollars, so much so. They don't even have to charge tuition, and they get massive tuition from the students who seek to be students at Harvard. Because you get a degree with a, Harvard, with a Harvard on the top of it, you're going to be able to find a job almost anywhere. Well, you could until last year. Last year, an awful lot of major American companies said, we don't want anything to do with graduates of Harvard. They support things that are un-American. And a lot of those big companies said, if you've got a Harvard degree, don't bother applying. So should the plagiarist have been fired or allowed to resign? Ninety percent of you voted in our X poll used to be called Twitter. Now it's X. Ninety uh, percent of you said she should have been fired instead of just 10 percent of you who said it was good enough that she resigned as the president of Harvard. Glad to have you with me. Today's Twitter poll, which is, is climate change to blame for the record-breaking border crisis as Joe Biden's Department of Homeland Security secretary claims Mayorkas? This guy has been defending the border as, oh, it's under control. We're not having a problem, despite literally millions of illegal aliens who flooded into America and now are creating chaos in some of America's biggest cities and now Majorca says oh it's because of climate change that somehow climate change is forcing people in other countries Central and South America and apparently uh, Asia the Middle East and just about every other place the illegal aliens are coming from thousands of people fighting age males coming in from communist China and they're coming in not because the Politburo in Beijing ordered them in there uh, so they can be sleeper moles inside our country No, I don't think it's climate change that's doing it. It's something more basic than that. And the Biden crime family has figured out how to cash in on it. So is climate change to blame for the border crisis? Absolutely not would be my vote. You can vote any way you like. You'll find it at Lars Larson Show on X. You can also find it on my website at larslarson.com. Brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values that I believe in. I joined, and you should too. Just go to amac.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC is better, better for you, and better for America. And catch this. You Bernie Sanders, I, I thought we'd kind of heard the last of the commie from Vermont. He's got his three houses. He's got nice money in the bank and all that. But you know what he's calling for now? Senator Bernie Sanders, independent of Vermont, really, he's the commie from Vermont, has called on Congress to hold back $10 billion in military funding for Israel, warning that it could be used to fund what he calls the Israeli government's grossly disproportionate and immoral war in Gaza. Now, hold on a second. Disproportionate. So, in other words, we've got to do this like the Hatfields and McCoys, that if we see somebody and somebody gets murdered or a thousand people get murdered, like what happened on October 7th, that they're supposed to have a proportionate response. A thousand of ours, we get a thousand of yours, and that could go on forever. Instead, I'm glad to see that Israel takes the same view the United States has taken, when somebody decides they want to take over the world, Germany did it twice in the 20th century, you say, we're not going to use proportionate force. We're going to use vastly disproportionate uh, force. In this case, Bernie Sanders is saying, nope, cut them off if you possibly can. A shout out today to our friends in Ellensburg, Washington, who listen to great talk radio on KXLE. That's AM 1240. And you can find my show there as well. I want to warn you about something that Joe Biden is doing that amounts to attacks Now, if you say, well, he hasn't been able to get any legislation through Congress. Now, here's what the Biden administration has done. Just in 2023, last calendar year, the Biden administration proposed two, sorry, three quarters of a billion dollars in new regulations. And You say regulations? Lars, my eyes are glazing over right now. Now, let me tell you about this. America funds an amazing amount of regulation. Now, what happens is people in Congress and more often people in the bureaucracy decide we should make it a rule. And then they make a rule without going to the Congress. The bureaucracy does it. The deep state that Donald Trump warned us about. The cost of all the regulations before 2023 was about $2 trillion, $2 trillion a year. And a lot of you run into this at your workplace. You show up at work and the boss says, well, the federal government now says we have to do this or we have to do that. Now, if it comes down to life and safety, I don't necessarily have a problem with it, but an awful lot of regulations are just completely out of line. They're crazy. And now two-thirds, sorry, three-quarters of a billion dollars in new regulations just in 2023. Can you imagine what they're going to do this year? And if Joe Biden somehow, by some miracle, manages to beat Donald Trump in November, I don't think that's going to happen, but if he did... He plans to regulate an awful lot of you right out of your jobs, right out of your homes, and right out of any kind of living that you might make in the United States of America. Pleasure to be with you on a Wednesday, 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Coming up in a moment, should states be held accountable for taking property in federal court? We're going to talk about that issue and how it's playing out in the courts. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show.
0: Casting the sound of freedom, here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I suppose I could say it simply this
2: way. The Joe Biden administration is trying to destroy a lot of small business in America. Now, I'll see if Jim Burling agrees with my assessment. Jim is the vice president of legal affairs for Pacific Legal. Uh, Jim, happy new year to you and welcome back to the program.
3: Happy new year to you, too, Lars.
2: What is the Department of Labor doing that, uh, that threatens to actually wreck a number of small businesses, starting with the one that you've uh, profiled, uh, Robert Mayfield, who runs a bunch of Dairy Queen franchises in Austin, Texas. But here comes the Department of Labor saying, we're going to slap some new rules on top of the way you pay your employees, and it might just wipe out his company.
3: Well, the, pr- the problem is that we have the Department of Labor is just going wild on imposing uh, all kinds of rules and regulations. We're dealing with rules, dealing with franchises, how you count labor, how you count independent labor. And it's really tying small business people into a complete knot. And that's the kind of question that we, we have now of what what is the authority of the Department of Labor to do this? And we think the Department of Labor has very limited authority to go beyond what Congress has said it could do.
2: Now, how do we fix? I mean, we'll get to the fix in a moment, but I want people to understand what's going on here because I'm a small employer as well. I've got three great employees. I try to reward them with every dime I can get for them. But this rule says to guys like Robert Mayfield, if you want to put people on on a, a you know a salary as a manager, um, you have to pay them at least thirty five thousand uh, dollars a year or so uh, to be exempt from hourly pay rules. So you you put people on salary. And they get a predictable paycheck, because they know, I'm being paid this much money. I know that as a manager, uh, sometimes some days you may spend more time uh, you know at work, you're not an hourly employee anymore. And now they want to bump that from 35,000 to about 55,000 dollars a year and say, if you, can't, if you can't do that, you've got to return all your workers to hourly status.:
3: Yeah, and, and what that makes it very, very impractical. For a small business to run because you're going to have to pay these hourly workers overtime for all the time they put in managing. And if you're a manager, your hours are very irregular. Uh, sometimes you have to be there 24 hours if there's an emergency coming up. And now the small businesses have to account for overtime and all kinds of labor requirements that did not exist for managerial workers. And this Bumping this up from thirty-five thousand, actually thirty-five thousand five hundred and forty-eight dollars to over fifty thousand dollars is simply something the Department of Labor has done on its own, uh, because frankly they don't like small businesses operating, uh, and they want unions to come in and, and take over a lot of these small businesses in a lot of ways. So uh, the new salary for, you know, you talk about $50,000, but some people have looked at the way Department of Labor is calculating it and it might be even as high as $70,000 a year, which what? is, you know, which means that people who are now managers are not going to be managers anymore. They're going to be relegated to hourly employees and that kind of experience and that kind of knowledge that comes about from being a manager is going to be lost to a lot of people who are Trying to work their way up the, you know, up up the business ladder, if you will, to try to better themselves and to become more responsible employees, and eventually to have greater authority at the business.
2: I'm talking to Jim Burling from Pacific Legal. So, in this case, if he's told, if if Mr. Mayfield is told, you, you've got these managers on at say forty thousand a year, and you pay them, and you, they understand, I get this paycheck. My job is to manage the place. If I get a call after hours, I've got to take care of whatever problem it is. That's part of being a manager, but I get a predictable wage of 40 grand. Now the boss says, "Well, I can't afford to pay you 55, so I'm dropping you back to hourly status and and we'll just have to determine how much you work and you may have a big paycheck one time and a smaller paycheck the next time." It's going to be an insult, isn't it, to all the managers who are demoted back to hourly status when they, were, they may have worked hard for a long time to become a manager. And some of those people might just well say, okay, fine, I'm going to leave. I'll go to work somewhere else. Except this rule is going to apply nationwide, right?
3: Yeah, this is the whole problem that you can have some states do things like this. And, it can, and if businesses don't like it, they can leave sometimes. Uh, but when you, this is a nationwide rule, it's going to have a huge impact. And so you're right. You get a call in the middle of the night, say the, uh, the, 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 the enterprise here, the the restaurant has a plumbing problem, pl- a pipe burst. Somebody has to come in, in the middle of the night to take care of it. That's right. what a manager does. And the manager takes that kind of responsibility. The manager makes the success of the business, his or her own success because he is, or she is a manager. But now uh, if you're simply an hourly employee, uh, it, you, you don't have the incentive to really care about what happens anymore. And it's going to upset the structure of a lot of small businesses, small restaurants and uh, pl- places that have a lot of hourly employees and some managers as well. So, I mean, this is an unwanted rule. It's an unnecessary rule. It's an unhelpful rule. But it's the typical kind of rule that the Biden administration is having to make life difficult for small businesses.
2: Well, and imagine being that manager and thinking, well, I used to know exactly what my paycheck was going to be. Middle of the month, first of the month, that's what it was going to be. But now you're back to hourly. It may mean that sometimes you have a bigger paycheck. Sometimes it's much smaller. And and they may not like it at all. So does the Labor Department have the congressional, I mean, did Congress give them the authority to make all these decisions on their own say-so without going back to the Congress and saying, we'd like to change the numbers in some cases, as you said, maybe as much as as thirty five or forty thousand dollars a year for individual employees. Did Congress intend that? And did the Labor Department, does the Labor Department even care whether they have the authority? Are they just going to do it until well, they're called that's out? A good
3: question, Lars. I don't think the Department of Labor cares if they have the authority. We have a pretty much unlawful uh, presidency here, where the president does lots of things without the authority, whether it's the eviction moratorium during COVID, the vaccination mandate, all things that have been struck down by the Supreme Court in recent years. And here the the court, the, the agency, excuse me, the, the Biden administration thinks if it does enough things, it can't be caught on all of them. Why? Right? Uh, so it tries to get away with whatever it can. This is another case where the original statute does not give this kind of authority to interpret uh, the law to make all these people hourly employees again. And and getting back to your point about the the manager, the former manager, what if you are applying for a loan? You have a very steady income because you're a manager. You know what that's going to be, and you can put down certain numbers on your mortgage application. Well, now you can't. And the money that you thought was coming in and steady to pay things like mortgages or student loans is no longer as steady as it used to be. That doesn't make people better off.
2: No, and in fact, there's a disincentive for you to act as a manager because if, unless there's a lot of cheating in the background, that manager who gets the call in the middle of the night from an employee who says, hey, there's the big pipe break down at the Dairy Queen, boss, we need you to take care of this. And he has to say, well, now that I'm an hourly employee, I'm going to have to tell my boss, if I get called out in the middle of the night, and I have to do some hours, it's going to be at overtime because I've already done eight hours yesterday, and I'm expected to do eight hours the next day, so it's going to have to be at overtime. And then having spent a couple of hours in the middle of the night, like managers sometimes have to do, you've got to show up at work at eight o'clock the next morning as well, and that will be on overtime as well. And he knows the consequence of that, and so does his boss. So is his incentive going to be to say, well, we'll let somebody take care of it when they come in tomorrow morning?
3: Yeah, it's, it's going to have a big impact on a lot of small businesses, and it's not going to work well for either them or the employees or the managers. So I, I think it's just one of these ideas that the Department of Labor is controlled by uh, people with a certain mindset that business is bad, employees are good, and the only way to make life better for the world is to have these very restrictive rules, which are very counterproductive. And if
2: they don't make illegal. the uh, yeah, and, and 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 if they don't make the business run better, it runs not as well. Then even if somebody is a manager, then they end up suffering as well because managers tend to get bonuses and tend to get other rewards for running the business well. And if uh, you say to your boss, I'm sorry, I can't run it better, but they, they change the rules. I'm now an hourly employee. It's not really my problem. That's Jim Burling from the Pacific Legal Foundation. In a moment, I want to get to your phone calls and emails at 866-439-5277. And what is the Biden administration's radical approach to climate change going to do to your home appliances? You'll be blown away. The Lars
4: Larson Show.
0: Because you like what you hear right lars larson
2: welcome back to the lars larson show it's a pleasure to be with you on, on this wednesday and if you want to join the conversation you're certainly welcome at 866 hey lars that's 866-439-5277 send your emails to talk at larslarson.com uh i kind of had a personal reaction to this next story it's about the Department of Energy and final energy efficiency standards for refrigerators, freezers, and refrigerator freezers, uh, those that do both. And I thought about that for a moment, and I thought, I know exactly what they're doing here. And then I'll go to your phone calls here in a moment. Because uh, about 20 years ago, Tina and I bought an old house, and it was a fixer-upper. And so we fixed it up, and then we sold it or, uh, last year. And uh, we bought another fixer-upper, and we're in the middle of doing that. And one of the things I noticed is that in our old, old house, as opposed to our new old house, in our old, old house, we had a relatively new dishwasher. It's only a year or two old and it's slow and it doesn't do a very good job. And then we moved into our new old house and I thought, wow, that dishwasher I checked, it's 30 years old. You might think, well, it's a terrible uh, dishwasher there. No, it's better than the ones you can buy right now. And I don't just say that because I'm a fan of old stuff. Uh, I happen to be an old stuff myself. But uh, when I looked at it, I thought, this thing does all, it, it cleans the dishes well, and it's done in about 30 minutes. Now, why do you have dishwashers today that won't do that? And the reason is these crazy restrictions and regulations imposed by the federal government in which they've decided in their infinite wisdom and without the benefit of Congress, We're going to make new requirements for dishwashers. They have to use less water. They have to use less of this, probably more electricity. And as a result, the new dishwashers, and if you don't believe me, talk to anybody who sells these things. I don't sell them for a living, but there are people who do, and they're going to tell you the new dishwashers are not as good as the old dishwashers. And why? Because the old dishwashers were made to actually work. Whereas the new dishwashers were, well, they were basically engineered in part with the oh-so-helpful federal government telling the people who make them how you have to make them. Well, guess what? The DOE, right in the middle of the break between Christmas and New Year's, December the 29th, when they knew that most people were not paying too much attention to new federal regulations from the Department of Energy. December the 29th, just, you know, just a couple of weeks or a week ago or so ago, they came out with these new restrictions. They're going to result in, they say, reduced carbon dioxide emissions of 101 million metric tons, which would mean, you know, divided up by the population over a period of years, it's not really much at all. Uh, but they like to state things that way. Why, this will save 101 million metric tons over 30 years used by three or 300 or 400 million Americans. If you do the math on that, Again, it doesn't add up to much. And what I think it's going to do is probably make refrigerators and freezers that don't do the job nearly as well as the old ones. But they say we're going to cut energy costs for business by $3 billion a year. We're going to cut carbon emissions by 318 million tons over 30 years, et cetera, et cetera. Just let me give you a fair warning. I hope the Biden administration gets shot down by the courts, which should decide that agencies like the Department of Energy... And the Department of Labor are not allowed to make these changes without going back to the people's representatives on Capitol Hill. Now, with that having been said, let me go to our first naysayer today, and that's Bob. Hey, Bob, welcome to the program. If you told my producers you're a naysayer, we must disagree about something. What do we disagree about that makes you a naysayer?
1: Well, I disagree with your hourly wage versus your salary. Now, I was offered the opportunity to be a supervisor, and I was also offered the opportunity to be on salary or hourly. Now, I figured it out, and hourly, you're going to make a lot more because you're going to have to be there longer. You're going to have to put in more hours, and you can still be a supervisor and be on an hourly basis. And you don't have to lose that. And I figured at the end of the year, I probably made 40 percent more by staying on the hourly rate rather than going to the salary, where once you go on a salary, the owners a lot of time will say, well, let's have him do this because we don't have to pay him for that because he's on a salary. So there is two sides to that story. And I think that you missed that side of it.
2: Oh, I didn't miss it because I've been both. Uh, I have been both an hourly worker and a salaried worker, but I think you missed what they're doing, Bob, they're taking the choice away and, and correct me if I'm wrong. Would you agree that the choice of under what circumstances you want to work should be between you and your employer? Would you agree with well, that? I, was, I agree with that. Okay. Now, hold I had, on, the, hold I on. had the, the choice. I had well, the but,
1: choice, but it wasn't, it was, but it was not a negative, by being on an hourly and it doesn't mean you don't
2: in, care in, as much in your either. particular in your particular case it it meant that you made more by being hourly but you got to make that choice when the biden DO, uh, department of labor comes in and says you're not allowed to make bob a salaried worker unless you pay him this much every single year and if your employer says i can't pay him that much every year the biden DO, department of labor is saying you can then you can't make him a salaried worker. And there are people who prefer to be on salary. They prefer to know, I know what the job is. I know what the paycheck is I get every two weeks. And I'm happy with the arrangement. They are taking that away. And the government is making that choice for you. Do you like that? Well, it depends upon, I guess,
1: what the hourly rate is. And it depends upon what what the situation is. Every situation can be different.
2: Yeah, except that the, in this case, what they're saying is In Texas, in this particular example, unless you pay that manager as much as $70,000 a year, you can't make him a salaried worker. You have to make him an hourly worker. So they've taken the choice away. What if you said, hey, boss, if you'll pay me fifty grand a year, I'll be happy to be your manager. I'll be, you know, if I get a call in the middle of the night, I'll take care of the problem. I just want to know I'm going to make that much. Now, if you're an hourly worker, Bob, did you ever have the boss come to you and say, hey, and I know you've been doing a lot of overtime, but you know what? We're kind of in a cash crunch right now. No unapproved overtime from this point forward. Have you ever had that happen? No. I have. I've been. I worked at places. I worked at a lot of TV and radio stations. And occasionally they'd get in a crunch and they'd come in and say, no unapproved overtime. And you'd gotten used to saying, well, most most paychecks I get 10 hours of overtime or five hours of overtime every pay period. And all of a sudden the boss says, no overtime at all. Well, that's where the salaried guy is happier gal is happier because they're making more money but i get what your point is and i think the choice should be between you and the employer and it shouldn't be the choice of joe biden who by the way makes his money in very many corrupt ways let's go to another naysayer and that's ben hey ben welcome to the program what's on your mind
5: hey lars i had to talk to you a little bit about salary versus hourly wages i'm a service member and i make a salary we don't get overtime here in the united states military thank you and for you know your service what? by the way i appreciate you thanking me but i just saying every time i hear someone getting overtime because they got called in or every yep. time i work a weekend every time i work late i was i was you know making an hourly wage
2: if they call and you out for drill in the middle of the night you get paid the same at the end of two weeks as you do if they don't call you out for drill a single night right
5: Yeah, I get the same salary no matter what, but there's never been a week where I didn't work at least 40 hours, at least not often. But, you know, if I take a vacation day, they include Saturday and Sunday as days I take as vacation, even though they should have been my weekend, take them as vacation days, because I technically could have been called out.
2: Yeah, because technically, if you're, and again, thank you for your service in the military, but if, when you sign up for service, you're basically at Uncle Sam's beck and call 24-7, aren't and you? And
5: I agreed to it, Lars, and I did it proudly. However, yep. I'm just saying, if we took the same liberal, elitist labor standards and applied them to our own military, we'd be bankrupt in the country.
2: I think we would be. And Joe Biden is not about to live by the same rules he asked the rest of us to live by. Thank you for the call, and thanks for your service, Ben. I appreciate the call. Back in a moment, you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. We're going to talk about TikTok as a threat to our
0: national security.
2: Back to that in just a moment. Um, My friend Grover Norquist, to which I wish a very happy new year, is president of Americans for Tax Reform. How are you doing, Grover?
6: I am doing well. It is a good new year, and today, of course, is J.R.R. Tolkien's birthday.
2: Oh, that's a very good thing to remember. He was part of the... He uh, wasn't he part of the Inklings?
6: Um, yes, it was a sort of interesting collection of very interesting writers in uh, Britain, and he did The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. I got stuck into that whole thing because uh, I asked somebody why the dog was named something, and they said, oh, that's from The Hobbit. So I read The Hobbit. Of course, that wasn't, uh, is uh, so not in The Hobbit. And so then I then had to read the whole three book trilogy to find the dog's name. So I was, I feel tricked, but I'm glad I was.
2: Although, although in some ways uh, that all those books were about, I mean, they were back when people could actually see things, tell stories that were about good and evil. And there wasn't a lot of nuance or excuses for why things were good or evil, but that may be a conversation for another day. Can we conclude that TikTok is evil when it comes to the United States and concerns about people's about our national security?
6: Well, it's certainly dangerous. It certainly opens the door to all sorts of potential problems, which is why Congress passed a law saying that if you have a government iPhone, iPad computer, you can't hook it up to TikTok and it can't be It has to be structured so TikTok couldn't be put in. Uh, It turns out the IRS says, oh, that's cute. You have a law like that. You have no intention of obeying it.
2: Now, can they do that? I mean, in other words, for every (laughs) government rule, one of the most common questions I get is, can that be enforced? And the usual answer is no. Well,
6: it can be. It should be if we had a Justice Department interested in enforcing the law. uh, it is not one of those laws about people, but somehow the government's outside. This is a law directed at the government. This is a law that said, Congress passed this law. Yeah, the, uh, Biden signed it. Uh, the Justice Department is supposed to be enforcing it. But th- there is an inspector general for the IRS called the Treasury Inspector General for Tax Administration. It's TIGTA, top. Um I can't... Uh, somebody from uh, Winnie the Pooh, TIGTA. Uh, anywho, TIGTA is the name Tigger. of this uh, group. Uh, yeah, <laughs> T- TIGTA. And their watchdog, the the watchdog on the IRS. And they went through the IRS and they found, oh, uh, and just in one division, by the way, which happens to be the Criminal Investigation Division, the people oh, right. most likely will be looking into other people's stuff that maybe you don't want to hand to the Chinese. They found 2,800 2, mobile devices that could access TikTok's website, 900 uh, criminal investigation employees that had the ability to do so with uh, their computers. And there's something, you've probably been to parties where they say BYOB, right? Bring your own yep, beer. Yep, bring your own booze. Yeah. B- yes. This is, no, oh, I thought they bring booze. I just thought it was beer. Okay. Bring your own <laughs> booze. Bring your own Uh, (laughs) device is what this is, B-Y-O-D. So if you want, you can bring your computer from home, your iPad from home, your iPhone, and play with it as if it was the government stuff, right? So you can put government data on it. But if you do so, the law requires that you disable the ability of TikTok to be on it in order to not have your device have stuff stolen through it. and this is being completely ignored by the IRS by the the leadership. Not just by not just by a handful of people, because the uh, Inspector General wrote a nice letter <laughs> to the leadership of the IRS saying, "Excuse me, the law says you can't do this, and we see that you are. Here's how you fix it." And the IRS wrote back and said, "Oh, this would violate the constitutional rights of our." Uh, union members of our uh,
2: IRS. Is, is, is there, is, is there a, a, an amendment to the Constitution that has to do with apps on your on your personal devices? Because I don't remember that part.
6: But again, it's only dealing with your personal device, devices because you're bringing them in and hooking them up with the government work, okay? Right. At home, you can play with TikTok all you want on your own device, right? But not on a device that you bring in and put people's IRS data on your device because you can't keep them separate or choose not to keep them separate. And the law just says if you don't keep them separate, if you bring your iPad in and out from work, you've got to keep that protected. And they, nah, that's, that would violate our rights, we're told. Of course, that's nonsense. But, uh, and and the Republican, we just got this word in December, by the way. So this just is breaking news from uh, the, the Inspector General put out a little report, died, you know, explaining Here's what we told them, and they told us to go to Hades. Uh, they didn't care what the law was, and I mean, this is this is part and parcel of the problem at the IRS. They think they're above the law. Ninety nine percent of their union dues, politics money goes to Democrats. So it's a one party gang over there, a one party state. Like you uh, know, I'm not sure Castro gets ninety nine percent of them. <laughs> well, um, okay,
2: Grover, yeah. let me, let me ask you something though. And call me stupid or naive, because you spend more time in D.C. than I certainly ever have. But why is it that if the next time Janet Yellen is in front of a congressional committee, is it, is it beyond reason to say, would a Republican say, Secretary Yellen, uh, you're, you're, you're over the IRS. Uh, the, your inspector general says your employees are violating a law that we passed. Is there any good reason why you shouldn't assure us today that when you get back to your office, you're going to write a memo that instructs every single person in your agency to take TikTok off or stop using your devices at work? Anything
6: wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with it. It's exactly what they should do and and will do. I mean, they did pass a law saying this. Uh, So reminding the Democrat uh, who's supposed to be running the Treasury Department under which IRS Uh, operates, uh, shouldn't be necessary, but they have made it very clear in the Biden administration they have a very selective uh, capacity to decide what they will and what laws they will and will not obey. Uh, We have seen sometimes, and Harvard University found out that, that if you can embarrass them on TV correctly... You can get some things changed. You can actually draw blood, and that needs to happen with the IRS. Now, I would say that the IRS—they did draw a little blood. The Republicans, a lot—twenty billion dollars worth of blood. Remember, they—they they, they took yep. twenty billion dollars away from of, the eighty. Out of the uh,
2: hiring that, money for the agents. Yes. You know what I want? You know and what I want next, Grover? I want the two-thirds of a billion dollars that the federal agencies pay to Harvard University, $625 million. I want some Republican to say that won't be in the next budget. You are not getting that, Harvard. You have your endowment. You have your weird anti-Semitism on campus. You have your plagiarist former president. You don't take these things seriously. You're corrupt. You're not getting the American taxpayers'
4: money anymore. The Lars Larson Show.
0: I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show.
1: Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's
0: lettuce. Honestly, provocative talk radio.
1: More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women.
0: Lars. Our beloved Lars, republic Lars. it's in the hands of Mad Men. This is a dark day now, here's your host. I
1: almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my
0: cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be
2: with you on a Wednesday, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and your emails. We've got a lot to talk about. Will Maine's legal battle to keep Donald Trump off the primary ballot reveal a politically motivated move or a legitimate constitutional concern? We're going to visit that. And the Secretary of State of Maine, she actually wants to gaslight America, saying her decision decision to throw trump off the election ballot which she made after an administrative hearing only and trump was not represented uh she says no no politics played no role in that whatsoever and if you actually believe that then you're snowed like every other democrat in this country why haven't the massacred nigerian christians got the same kind of media outrage as those slaughtered by hamas we should talk about that as well a former kentucky county clerk is now being ordered to pay more than a quarter million dollars in legal fees for simply refusing to issue same-sex marriage licenses, and she did it because of her religious beliefs. Should personal convictions override legal obligations? And take just a moment to cast a vote in my Twitter poll, or X poll as we're calling it now, because Twitter changed its name. You can find the X poll at Lawrence Larson Show and at LawrenceLarson.com. Today's question is climate change. The real reason for our record-breaking border crisis, as Joe Biden's Department of Homeland Security secretary actually claims. It's absolutely outrageous as far as I'm concerned. I don't think climate change has anything to do with it. But you can vote any way you like. You'll find the question at Lars Larson Show on X. You'll also find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. And always brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the kind of conservative values I believe in. I never once even thought about joining AARP. They are a liberal organization, and I don't like them. They helped pass Obamacare, and I certainly didn't appreciate that. I joined AMAC, and you should too. Just go to amac.us or call AAA-262-2006. AMAC's better, better for you and better for America. Dear Calls, let's go first. I was talking earlier about the crazy new rules and regulations that the Biden administration is trying to push forward that are going to make your home appliances run not as well as they used to, uh, because I was re- re- reflecting on the story of Tina and I buying a new old house. We like to buy old houses and then fix them up. We stayed in the last one for 20 years. Uh, this one is about 30-some years old, and it has an old dishwasher in it. And I said, I love the way it works, and I'm kind of... Uh, not looking forward i am not looking forward to the day that we have to replace it with a new modern dishwasher because i know it's not going to run the same way and madeline knows that who's calling in from idaho madeline thanks for listening on kido welcome to the program
7: hi lars love your show thank you yeah when i when i heard that about uh, the appliances i had to give you a call uh I'm 83 years old. Oh wow. (laughs) My parents, (laughs) my parents bought a refrigerator the year I was born, 1940. Wow. And that refrigerator still runs. (laughs) I, (laughs) I have it in my laundry room and I use it for an extra refrigerator when I need it. And, uh, of course, uh, well, in 1940, I suppose it was state-of-the-art, <laughs> but uh, and I have to defrost it, you know, now and then, of course. <laughs> and, Does it have one of those coils the, up
2: on top of it, like some of the ones that I see from oh, that era?
7: No, no, it doesn't have that. I think they're in the back. It doesn't have anything on top. It's a Philco, and I'm sure they don't even make those anymore. But, um, anyway, uh, like I said, it still runs. And, uh, y- you know, the things we buy now, I, we've been in, we have a new house. Well, relatively new. It's about 20 years old. And, uh, we've had two refrigerators <laughs> since, you know, we've got it. They're, they're i think they're planned obsolescence is what they are I, I, I think
2: you're right and the the old ones run better you know i had to look it up philco started its life in 1892 and you know for for all the people who <laughs> think electric old yeah no no but for all the people who think electric vehicles are brand new in 1906 oh. so more than 100 years ago philco began get this madeline producing electric vehicles uh, batteries for electric oh. vehicles Oh, forevermore, huh? Isn't that amazing? Anyway, I appreciate the call, Madeline, and I'm sorry we're having to give up our old appliances for the new modern ones that don't work as well, won't last as long, and you're absolutely right. Hang on to that thing as long as it works. Let's go to a Bill in North Carolina. Hey, Bill, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind?
8: Hi, Lars. I nice to take my call. You bet. Um, yeah, I'm I I'm real curious. I'll watch Pretty much all uh, I watch is Real America's Voice for news.
2: They're a great. And outfit. I haven't
8: heard them. Uh, yeah, I, I enjoy them, uh, but I haven't heard them mention anything about this, or even on talk shows. When I am able to hear a talk show on the radio about Double Jeopardy for for President Trump, um, you know he was already impeached. He was already tried by his peers and found and uh, acquitted. And acquitted for insurrection. So I don't understand how a state court can try or deem him again an insurrectionist when he's already been acquitted.
2: I I think the answer is this, and Bill, I always remind people I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not pretending to be a lawyer, but the impeachment and the acquittal were not a criminal process at all. There was the impeachment charge, one of them was insurrection, and he was acquitted of that charge. But even in that case, it wouldn't necessarily constitute double jeopardy double jeopardy would be if somebody was tried for murder you know in north carolina where you live once you've once they say the lawyers say once jeopardy attaches so i think once they've started the trial uh and the trial goes through it doesn't have to go through to its completion once jep and jeopardy means once you're in jeopardy of going to prison for a charge so if your murder trial has started and then for some reason the murder trial ends But jeopardy is already attached. You could argue that that's double jeopardy if if you try to try the same person for the same crime a second time. In this case, Colorado is simply saying we've determined that Donald Trump is guilty of insurrection, a charge that, as you point out, has only been brought once. It was not brought by the uh, DOJ. The Biden DOJ did not charge Donald Trump when it did charge six other people with insurrection, but didn't charge him and didn't call him an unindicted co-conspirator. So they've already looked at it. The charge is false. But this is the Colorado Supreme Court saying we've found him guilty of insurrection, even though he's never been charged criminally with insurrection. Uh, and now we've determined he isn't eligible to be on the ballot. That's the way they're doing it to avoid any kind of uh, any kind of implication of double jeopardy. Sad to say they're going to use every legal trick in the book, Bill. But I have a feeling since Donald Trump, as of today, has now appealed directly to the U.S. Supreme Court and said, You, the Supreme Court, make the decision. Is Colorado acting in violation of my constitutional rights? And once the Supreme Court slaps down Colorado and Maine and all those other states, maybe we can get on to the Democrats' next desperate attempt to take Trump out of the running. Glad to be with you. Glad to take your calls. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show.
0: things you wish you could say more with lars welcome
2: back to the lars larson show it's a
0: pleasure to be with you and i'm always
2: glad to take your phone calls and your emails at 866 hey lars that's 866-439-5277 send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com And now we've got Donald Trump's appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court, suggesting that what's been done to him and to voters in Maine and Colorado is simply out of line. Josh Finley joins me now, who's director of the Texas Public Policy Foundation's National Election Protection Project. Josh, it's good to have you back and Happy New Year to you.
9: Happy New Year, Lars. It's great to talk to you. So where is all this going to go? And
2: and I kind of wonder if the Democrats haven't kind of jumped the shark, and maybe even they're realizing it now, too, to say to American voters, you're not allowed to vote for this guy. We can't beat him, so you're not allowed to vote for him. And that that even if they were to win in court, this is not going to be a win for them long term because they're they're telling everybody out loud, we can't beat Donald Trump. He's popular with American voters, so therefore we're going to, I've used the uh, Tanya Harding example, we're going to kneecap him if we can.
9: Well, Lars, I think you're exactly right about this. This was an overreach by the Democrats, and I think they're going to end up paying the price for it. They're showing that they are scared of Donald Trump, that they have concerns about beating him at the ballot box. And we've seen in the past that when they have concerns about winning a fair election, they look to the process, try to rig the process. And I think that's exactly what's happened here in both Maine and Colorado.
2: Are they just trying to run him out of money? Because in most of these cases, the, the case for taking Trump off the ballot is going to be defended with the taxpayers' money, whereas the case that has to be brought against that is going to have to be paid for by the Donald Trump campaign. And, and sometimes, I mean, government agencies do this uh, fairly frequently. They'll simply run the other side out of money.
9: They do. They do. And I think if you look big picture at what the Democrats are trying to do to Donald Trump right now, they're trying to defeat him with lawfare. They're trying to attack him from all sides. Uh, both criminally, civilly, and now on the ballot. It takes lawyers and it takes a lot of money to defend all of these legal cases. And I think their plan here is to weaken Donald Trump as much as they can. Um, I think they'll see some backlash from this. I, I kind of like with his uh, his criminal cases, I think this is only going to strengthen his base. And I think it's going to motivate people to see what the Democrats are doing and decide if that's really they want the the direction they want the leadership of this country to go
2: well and let me ask you for for your assessment of those four criminal cases the 91 so or so indictments that are brought against trump it doesn't seem to me that any of those cases is going well is it
9: no no i i think you could argue that they're going pretty well for the president right now he's getting a lot of uh support People are seeing that these criminal cases are politically motivated. I think they're going to see in the same way that these challenges to him being on the ballot are put politically motivated. And I think a lot of people are tired of this political gamesmanship right now. Um, whether you agree with Donald Trump or not, a secretary of state unilaterally deciding to keep the leading presidential candidate off the ballot is just an absurd step for someone to take.
2: And yet they, they're doing it anyway. I, I, I've suggested to my audience that some of this may be the tactic that I saw deployed against a couple of Trump's nominees to the Supreme Court. And that was, we're going to lie about it. And we know we'll be caught out in the lie. But by the time we're caught out, we'll have already done the damage. Is, is, and, and that seems to be one that the Democrats use all the time. They know that they're going to be found out. Uh, they know the the lie won't hold up and their attitude seems to be, but it'll hold up long enough to do the damage we're looking for. Is, is
10: that the strategy?
9: I think that's exactly right. The Democrats thrive in chaos. They know that when they create chaos, they can create doubt and they can create the opportunity to to rig a system uh, to their advantage. And I think that's what's happening here. Do I think that they believe these challenges will pass the Supreme Court? No, I don't. But I think it creates chaos. It creates doubt in the process. And I think uh, Democrats love chaos. And that's what they're looking for here.
2: Well, and the thing I keep pointing out to my audience, and again, I always tell them I'm not a lawyer, but I said, hold on. He was charged once with insurrection in, in effect by the impeachment, and then he was acquitted. And then the the Biden FBI looked at him and said, uh, no, we didn't find uh, any evidence that he was involved in an insurrection. And then the Biden DOJ brought, brought insurrection charges against a few people, but they didn't name Trump and nor did they call him an unindicted co-conspirator. So he's actually been cleared of that. By Biden's own legal apparatus. So, how in the world do they expect to be able to make the case with this Shenna Bellows of Maine, Secretary of State, former Democrat state senator, saying, "I've got the authority on my own say so to deny Mainers the right to vote for this guy"?
9: Well, it's surprising, isn't it, that the Maine Secretary of State could find something that the U.S. Senate didn't find, that the Department of Justice didn't find, but she is found on her own in a one-day hearing that the former president committed insurrection, Um, I think you're not going to find a greater example of political gamesmanship than what is happening in Maine right now. It's something that we all need to be aware of.
2: I guess I just wonder when are Republicans going to, I mean, because I I know that most of them have probably mentioned the cases, but I get the impression that the 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 GOP is not going full throated on this and saying, look, this is the kind of politics they're going to practice. Uh, And and I wonder why they're not doing that, calling it out in the same
9: way that I am or you are. Well, they need to. This is a political winner for Republicans. I think anybody that looks at this objectively and says, we're not going to give the voters the chance to decide who's president, but we're going to give a secretary of state or a a small majority on a state Supreme Court the opportunity (laughs) to decide who's on the ballot and who gets to vote for president, Uh, Republicans need to be shouting about this from the rooftops because it's taking the power away from the people.
2: Well, and by the way, that Supreme Court in Colorado, every single member of the Supreme Court appointed by a Democrat governor? I mean, because talk about a kangaroo court. Uh, And maybe their warm-up act was the J-6 committee, where they said, well, we're going to name all of our members to the committee, and then we're not, for the first time in American history, we're not going to let the Republicans choose their members. We will choose the Republicans. We want to sit on it. And then we want the Colorado Supreme Court, all chosen by Democrat governors of Colorado, or a Democrat governor of Colorado. He will make the decision. And in the case of Maine, a Democrat secretary of state who's going to make the decision. It's as though, you know... They're, they're, as long as they've engineered it so that they get to choose all of the people who make the decisions, Americans are still allowed to make a choice, as long as the choice the Democrat Party approves of. That's, that's really, that's, that's like nothing I've seen any other place than maybe third world banana republic, but certainly not the United States of America.
9: Well, that's right. Isn't that what people complained about with political corruption back in the 1800s, that you had party bosses making the decisions for the people? Yep. This doesn't seem that much different right now. This is party bosses making the decision for the other party about who can appear on the ballot. I think it shows two things. I think it shows corruption and it shows fear. I think the Democrats are worried that they can't beat Donald Trump at the ballot box, and they're trying every mechanism possible to prevent you know, his rematch with Joe Biden.
2: Well, and the other piece to that is I think the reason the Republicans are being such wallflowers in all of this is that some of them don't like Trump either. I happen to be a Trump partisan. I believe in the guy. I think he's, he's he was a great president for four years. He'll make a great president for another four years. So my bias is in there. But for the rest of the Republicans to stay silent, instead of standing up and saying, they want to take the right to choose a president away from the people of the United States, because that's quite an indictment of uh, the part, as I call them, the party of slavery since 1829.
9: Well, it absolutely is. I mean, to think that Republicans are, are letting Democrats get away with this without the most fearsome fight that they can imagine. It just seems crazy to me. Um, but not only that, the fact that that they think Americans Will stand for this is also crazy.
2: Well, uh, this and they, is they fight should be watching. The Republicans polling
9: numbers. can win. The polling
2: numbers seem well, to indicate that every time they attack Trump, he only grows stronger, and Americans become more skeptical not only of the Democrats but of government and elections in general.
9: You're correct about that. People want choices, and this day and age, people want the freedom to choose. They're frustrated with. Uh, institutions and organizations as a whole, especially our traditional forms of government. We've seen so much government overreach lately that the thought of of these government institutions taking away the fundamental right of who we vote for for president, of course people are going to get up in arms about that.
2: And, heck, the only choice Democrats seem to care about is killing babies. So, Josh Finley is director of the Texas Public Policy Foundation's National Election Protection Project. Josh, thanks very much, and Happy New Year to you. You've got the Lars Larson
4: Show. The Lars Larson Show.
0: guessing what he'll say next. Here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I
2: want to get to some of your phone calls and emails and in a moment. We got a moment. Uh, I want to talk about the fact that the massacre of Christians in Nigeria in the tens of thousands is not drawing nearly the kind of attention that we've seen drawn to other kinds of crimes against people because of religion. But if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's always right here at 866 Hey Lars. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And if you want to vote in our Twitter poll, you can always find that on the new Twitter X. Uh, you can find it at Lars Larson show and of course on our website at LarsLarson.com. Let's go first to Jerry. Hey, Jerry, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Oh, hello, hey, Lars. Yes, sir. What's on your mind?
11: I'll try to keep you along, but uh, I just wanted to say a couple of things. Number one, we are at war. The conservatives and the liberals were at war. Um, What guides the conservatives, like us, is what makes sense, what requires a certain amount of discipline, what is smart, what adds up. What guides the liberals is whatever... Feels good. If it feels good, they'll fight for it and fight for it, whether it's right or wrong. Uh, um, uh, mutilating little children and ten years old because the child will feel better. That. So what we the the problem now is, and I'm almost finished. The Democrats, the liberals, are at war and have been. They have generals and colonels. We don't know about them, but they're at war in the media and every single day, we hear all the conservatives do is talk about, look what they're doing now. Look what they did today. Look what they're doing. Look what they're up to. But they are up to it, and they're winning. If we want to beat them, we need to have a conservative army. We need conservative uh, talk show hosts uh, in each state to gather information on how to get rid of this senator, how to get rid of this congressman, how to get rid of what we can do to sue this uh, corporation or this we need to be fighting back. There's a war going on, and we're getting our rear ends beat because all we do is talk, talk, talk. They're fighting and changing things, and whenever they do something bad, all we do is talk about it and say, "Look what they did. Look what they did. We have to fight back. And well in my okay, mind but,
2: but Jerry Jerry, I, I, just so I understand I, I I've heard the complaint before, and I don't necessarily disagree with it, but the first pro- the first step in fixing any problem is you've got to say. Is there a problem? And that's what I figure my role is, is to identify so those been, problems and bring them to people's attention when they say, oh, I didn't know that they were doing that, you know, like, like many well, of the okay. things the Biden administration is doing.
11: I know that. I know that. I know that. You. That's what I'm saying is conservatives point out all the terror. Now they're coming after our refrigerator. Now they're coming after this. We point all that out, but we don't tell the people, if you want to stop this, It's this senator and this congressman. You need to get a hold of them. You need to get more people. We need to vote them out. We need to find out if we can sue them. We need to hire attorneys. We need to go to war with them. Instead of just talking about, well, now they're, gonna, now they're going to screw up our refrigerators. Now they're going to screw up our microwaves. And they're going to do it. We're just gonna, they've been doing it. They've changed the schools. The uh, border is wide open. They are winning because they are attacking. They are at war with us. And all we do back is talk about the war. Well, uh, for example,
2: to just today one specific example i talked to grover norquist from the, uh, the the taxpayers group the national taxpayers group and he identified that the irs is breaking the rules when it comes to tiktok and you say well that's a small matter it's not a small matter if china is able to scoop up the personal information of american citizens that's not a small thing and i said well can we get a republican senator or rep the next time the secretary of the treasury is sitting in front of them to say your own inspector general says you're breaking the law we passed that said you can't have tiktok on these devices that are used by irs agents especially those that are doing you know work with sensitive taxpayer information and and we want you to tell us you're going to write a memo ordering everybody who works at the irs to stop breaking that law And that would be a direct way of doing it. If she says, well, I'm not sure I can do that. Well, you're the Secretary of the Treasury. There's the law. There's your Inspector General's report that says the IRS is breaking the law. Will you assure us today that you're going to write that memo directing the IRS, everybody who works for the agency, to stop using TikTok on any device, that, whether it's personal device or an IRS device, that has access to taxpayer information. And if you won't do it, we want your explanation as to why you won't do it. And by the way, we'd like a copy of that memo when you're done drafting it. I'm sure Janet Yellen could walk into her office and tell one of her staffers, "Write this memo up." I'm sending the word out. Nobody at the IRS uses TikTok anymore. There's one solution. I've suggested that a, a Republican member of of the House or Senate could say we are no longer going to be sending two-thirds of a billion dollars to Harvard University. They don't need it. They've got a massive endowment that's more than $50 billion that er- that earns about $2 billion every year. They no longer need our money. There's there's two-thirds of a billion dollars saved right there. But we've got to get our representatives to actually act. And the the one way to do that is public pressure. And and you're right about giving people specific things they can do. Because if I just say, we need to fix the border, we need to build the wall, we need to enforce our laws, and we say to Congress, uh, call these members of Congress and tell them to vote for this. Well, if they get enough public pressure, they probably will. So you're right about that. But that also has its limits, because the only way you can get members of Congress to uh, to do what you want them to do is if you threaten to take their jobs away and that's what republicans right. should do they should say if you're right. not willing to stand up for our border because all of them will give you a bunch of happy talk about how well i voted for a, vo- a, bo- a border bill we don't want to hear that you voted for it. we want to hear that something got changed right
11: and but but the leaders on your side they can't just be inspiring with good advice they need to be they need we needed an attack plan we need gen- nothing violent but we need generals and colonels who are devising plans to attack the liberals back. we got to get rid of Kamala Harris and have have many, many intellectuals looking on ways you can get rid of her. We need to get rid of Joe Biden. He's such an idiot. Actually, it's I think Kamala years-
2: Harris, Jerry, you and I might disagree, about that. I think Kamala Harris is one of the best gifts the Republicans and, and real conservatives ever got. She's clearly a only nitwit. If, if, she she couldn't think hurt, her way out of a wet paper if, bag.
11: Only if she hurts them. She's not hurting them. She's still the vice president. Nobody's attacking her. Well, you know, people say bad things about her, but we're we need more. We're at war, and we're just sitting talking about it. We're talking while well, they're well. But act- Jerry, it's,
2: it's, it's yeah. It's, I'm going to suggest cheating. to you the only place I'd poke a hole in your bubble right there is if you say, "Well, we need to attack her." She's the vice president. There's nothing to that job. John Adams himself, who held the job, called it. He said it wasn't worth a, a pitcher of warm spit or words that I can't use on the radio. And and so, how would you attack her? Impeach her for what high crimes and misdemeanors? For being a do nothing yeah. vice president, she wouldn't be the first one, well, and I'm she not, certainly I don't, won't be the last one.
11: But I'm talking about Biden. That Biden has done enough. He should be kicked out. He should be impeached.
2: I agree. It's, it's, he should be impeached. And I was glad to see the news today that Majorcas <laughs> is going to face. Uh, uh, they're they're going to start with impeachment proceedings against Majorcas starting next week. Now, should it have right. happened months ago? Absolutely, it should. But am I glad that they're doing it and not using the excuse of an election year to dodge that responsibility? Yeah, I'm glad. Uh, at least that's
10: a
11: start. But I don't mean to keep it going, but I'm just saying, in this war, like they're doing, all of the uh, all of the conservatives, the conservative talk show hosts, all the conservative. Politicians should be getting together and plotting our side of the war. How do we beat all these people? How do we get our border back? They're destroying our country and we're just talking about
2: it. I know and the, the one thing we can do is Congress is in the catbird seat. Congress could say we're and in fact there are apparently five members of the House right now. Who have said we're willing to take a government shutdown if that's what it takes to tell the Customs and Border Protection you got to secure that border or we're cutting off the funding. And if they've got the guts to do it, they might actually get something done. Jerry, thanks for the call. You got the Lars Larson show.
0: Best investment in talk radio and it's free Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson show. It's a pleasure
2: to be with you. And within the last 30 minutes or so has come word that the long awaited release of the documents from uh, Jeffrey Epstein's case, the, uh, The defamation case that was brought against the, I think, murdered Jeffrey Epstein. He didn't commit suicide as far as I can tell, but we just got word those documents are finally being released. And apparently the horny hick from Arkansas, Bill Clinton, the unindicted rapist of Juanita Broderick, is among those names, along with a a number of other prominent names as well. But I wanted to and We're going to have to talk more about that tomorrow. Let me first go to Aaron Ruark, who is director of research for Numbers USA. Eric, welcome back to the program. How are you?
10: I'm um, great. Thanks for having me back.
2: Um, I, I just had to get that mention in about these documents because we've been waiting for them all day. And, and again, we don't have the entire list of 150. In fact, apparently some of the websites that have been publishing these things release ordered released by a federal judge uh, as of the 1st of January and now at long last being released. But I want to talk to you about a different set of numbers. I shared with my uh, audience yesterday that uh, December saw an absolutely staggering number of illegal aliens that were encountered by Customs and Border Protection coming illegally across America's southern border into the country. Would you mind uh, bringing them up to date on, on where we
10: stand? We, because we've hit a new record, have we not? We did set a new record in December, and the Biden administration, uh, we uh, back in, I guess, uh, November was talking about the October numbers, and they were celebrating the fact that they hadn't broken a new record. So they they can't talk about that now because uh, it is it is the highest total number of encounters, which includes people who are coming over illegally, uh, apprehended. Some most of them are released, some are returned, but um, that does not count those who who got away. Uh, and so there's two. There's the ones we know about, and there's there's the knowns, right? And then the unknowns. So oh, that, now, that number doesn't count. You're going to quote um, Rumsfeld, right?
2: We don't know. We don't know. Right. <laughs> and, well, and, the, and that is it, because when you count numbers, just help me out with this, because I want my audience to understand this. You've got the ones encountered by border protection, all right, CBP. Then you've got mm-hmm. the gotaways, because they and, and people said, how how is it you could know those numbers? I said, well, think of a border agent sitting on a hill dealing with a bunch of illegals he's already encountered and written tickets to to process them into America because that's what Biden wants. He's also got the 60 people he could spot from the hilltop, but he was nowhere near enough to be able to write them up. And, and so you got that number and then you got the number, you know, are crossing the border, but you never see them because the cartels managed to get them across, oftentimes by releasing a flush of other illegals at other places along the border. So you've got three numbers. We have no idea what the third one is. We have the count of the gotaways, and then we've got the count of the direct encounters. All three of those add up together to what in December?
10: Well, uh, we do know that there's 302,000 encounters, right? So that is the record uh, by far. Uh, and the only real number to compare those two or previous records set under the Biden administration. Uh, we do know that in February, uh, I'm sorry, fiscal year, um, 2022, there are about 600,000 known gotaways. And then the unknown, that is again, what we don't know, but, uh, the problem that we have is that border patrol agents are being pulled off of the border to process people into the country. And so they're not out patrolling, catching people and they, you know they're not observing uh, evidence that people have gotten over or trying to stop them, uh, but they, you know, they're they're not on the border uh, observing uh, and hopefully apprehending people. So uh, that number will come out later. You know when we look at the the, the increase in the number of people here illegally, um, but you know there's millions. We we can easily say that there's between uh, six and eight million people under the Biden administration, who have crossed the border illegally. Not all, not all of them have stayed. The, the Biden administration's argument is it's not an open border because not everyone's getting in. That's true. But most of them are getting in, and many of them are being released into the uh, United States. And a lot of them are given work authorization, which is in violation of the law. But the Biden administration is doing that. Now, is the work
2: authorization under this parole idea, which was supposed to be limited in case by case, or how are they grant? How are they simply granting them something that normally an immigrant, a real immigrant who seeks to enter the United States legally, gets a green card and has the right to come in and work and someday become a citizen? How is the Biden administration able to just simply wave a wand and say you can work legally in the country? How, what, what authority are they using for that?
10: Uh, they're using an authority which they have uh, claimed that they have under the law, which does not exist under the law. But the reason that they're able to do that is so far Congress hasn't stepped in stepped in and put an end to it. And that's really uh, the fight that's upcoming. It, uh, when Speaker Johnson took over uh, the House, and then uh, ultimately Congress passed a con- continuing resolution to fund the government the appropriations for DHS come due in February. And that's part of the reason why you saw Speaker Johnson lead a delegation of House Republicans to the border today uh, is in, in preparation for this upcoming fight over funding. And if, if the White House says, well, the only problem is we don't have enough money, right, from Congress. But really what they're asking for is money to process people in, more people in, faster into the country. Uh, they don't want to stop. the the flow of illegal immigration, they want to facilitate it, and that's what they're asking money for. And Congress, at least the House Republicans, are saying, we're not going to give you that money. And the fight's really going to come over uh, whether or not the Biden administration is willing to shut the government down to keep the border open. And, you know, what we're hearing from Speaker Johnson and from the House Republicans, and they did pass HR2, which is a very strong enforcement bill, but there's a big difference between uh, a press conference in legislation, right, or, or legislating on behalf of the American people. And that's what we need to see from Republicans is this rhetoric translate into making sure that Biden administration doesn't have more funding to, to continue to, to the status quo, which is Be- an absolute border crisis.
2: Yeah, because and I do want to ask is while we've got time, they came out today, the House Republicans said we are proceeding with articles of impeachment against Mayorkas. Does that play into this, and does that have any, any promise to actually change, you know, the tune of the Biden administration when it comes to just processing people in as fast as they can?
10: Well, that's a good question, and uh, I'm not sure how that process is going to play out. Uh, Secretary-Mayor Orcas was actually asked about that today, I saw, and he says, you know, he hopes it doesn't uh, imp- and, and you know, impinge on the uh, border negotiations, which is basically the Biden administration saying, please fund what we're doing. Uh, and the Republicans saying we're not going to do that. Uh, there is it, there's lots of uh, arguments that can be made by, you know, in the House in order to impeach Mayorkas. Uh, yep. He's simply, in, in some cases, not following the law, in other cases, inventing the law, saying I have the authority to create uh, new uh, lawful pathways, which, of course, the Constitution and the statutory law does not allow for. Um, whether or not. The, by orcas is gone uh it, it's not going to change policy until congress steps up because someone else could step in
2: um and do the same things with me then we should shut the government down that's eric Ru- uh, eric ruark who is director of research for numbers usa eric thank you so much back in a moment you're listening to the lars larson show
4: the lars larson show
12: To health, we're all
4: okay. It's nice racket. It's going to
3: happen. Standby playback. I know. Oh,
0: Real Red Meat Radio. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show.
1: Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce.
0: Honestly, provocative talk radio.
1: More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the team in my cabinet, more than half the women in, in my administration are women.
0: Lars. Our beloved Lars. republic, it's in the hands of my This is a dark day. Now, here's your host. Almost lost
1: my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat.
0: Lars Larson. Larsen. Yeah! Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you in
2: this brand new year and a real pleasure. Welcome back. My talk brother, and that is the Hoff father, Ari Hoffman. He hosts the Ari Hoffman show on our Seattle affiliate KVI. Ari, welcome back and happy new year.
8: Happy new year to you. Love the opening of your show. Every time that line from Joe Biden makes me giggle. Now,
2: isn't that crazy? He just says the craziest <laughs> things and and not in a good way. Although I guess since we're going to talk Israel, your new year doesn't come for what nine months yet. We got to, yeah, we got to wait. Yeah,
8: this is so like four months ago for us, bro. But I'm glad everybody else <laughs> is having a great new year. <laughs> no,
2: no doubt. Well, it it might be a great new year if you listen to Karine Jean Pierre. It's already a great new year. The economy is going great. The uh, war in Ukraine is going great. Everything's going great. Nothing's going wrong, and the border is just fine. But let's let's talk about Israel because that's a particular interest for both you and me. And and I'm concerned about where this is going, that the political pressure on Israel to say, don't go in and destroy the terrorists, just let them let them rearm so they can come back at you in in another year or two.
8: What's insane to me is they keep allowing aid into Gaza. We know that the people who are in Gaza overwhelmingly support Hamas, and we're talking 75% and upwards. And they keep sending this aid in and they still haven't gone back the hostages, not the Israeli hostages, not the American hostages, not hostages from other countries. There are 136 people, including a baby who is celebrating his one year old birthday today in Hamas captivity. We found out last week that another American died in captivity, and yet nobody's talking about them anymore. The Biden administration that, seems content to just pressure them that, oh, yeah, just let Hamas rearm and everything will be fine.
2: Do you know, I, I got to tell you, Ari, one time I got a chance to fly on Air Force Two. Now, this does relate, and I'll tell you why. And why was I on Air Force Two? Because I flew from Spokane to Seattle. Uh, I was covering Mrs. Carter's visit. It was a campaign uh, visit to Seattle because she was campaigning for her husband who was stuck at the White House because now Jimmy Carter was not you know the smartest tool in the shed not the sharpest tool in the shed but he said he would not leave the White House until the hostage crisis in Iran was over now it turns out he he left the presidency before the hostage crisis was over uh but that's that's because he was incompetent but the fact is that uh, that he and i don't think that's the right thing for a president to do a president can be a president on the road and be in just as much communication as he is at the white house but but you at least had a daily watch there are hostages 44 of them they're in iran and and america was fixated on that for 444 days This one, it's almost as though most of the major media and most of the people in this country have forgotten. They're Americans being held hostage. What changed between 79 and now?
8: this is by design. They realize that that cost Carter the election. And if you look at the Joe Biden presidency, it's the Carter administration on steroids. And what they're petrified about is that likely Donald Trump will be the challenger against Joe Biden. And what they're worried about is if they start running that, I mean, think about it this way. COVID cases were at the bottom of the screen every day because they want Trump out of office. Why aren't those numbers at the bottom of the screen every day? Why aren't they doing nightly updates? Because if they do, the Americans will realize Joe Biden doesn't care about them. He won't care about them if they're overseas. He won't care about them at all. It just reinforces that. And they know they'll lose an election just like Carter did.
2: In fact, wasn't the original Nightline show based on a night nightly watch on what was going on? I think that was that's my recollection, isn't it? Or or was it another? I'm
8: pretty sure you're right. It was one of those shows. I mean, Ted Koppel, somebody like that. I remember was I watched these clips. This was something I've studied in depth because, well, I was I'm a little bit younger than you, Lars, but this (laughs) thing I studied in depth because my parents were big fans of Ronald Reagan. My father actually worked on Reagan's campaign, and this was something he wanted me to know as a kid. I mean, this is the difference between success and failure. And you look at that administration, there's actually a great line in the movie Argo. The movie Argo, which Ben Affleck made about getting the hostages out of Iran. Great, the great movie, by the yeah. yeah. So there's a great line where they talk about a guy who's putting American flags on his lawn, one for every day of captivity. And they said when that guy hits 365, you know, Reagan wins the election. And it's 100% <laughs> right. If we were doing that right now, Joe Biden, his polls, would be, his polls are dropping already, but they'd be minuscule. They'd be single-digit by now if people were actually talking about
2: this well and it's funny because we have a better way of communicating I mean, between social media and all the mainstream media that's much bigger today than it was in 1979 you would think uh, well if anything else would capitate captivate Americans the idea of Americans being held by an honest to God terrorist organization uh, and being held for this length of time that uh, we'd be fixed it every day it'd be well what's happened with the hostages instead the stories being made to disappear but let me ask you this my concern is 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 about the political pressure that's being brought to bear on Israel, saying don't destroy the terrorist organization Hamas, and that just I, I never thought Americans would you know would would endorse that kind of idea.
8: I think the majority of them don't large. So I actually saw something inspiring the other night at a pro Hamas rally. No, not them, but I was at the one at the Space Needle where they were trying to stop the celebrations there. The police were ready for them. Seattle Center was ready for them. So they didn't get very far. But what I did see that was inspiring was there was this one guy who's going, I just want to get a frozen yogurt. Can you guys <laughs> shut up? Like, I mean, that was really the thing was that they're protesting next to this long line of people who are online for concessions. And the average person, even in Seattle, Washington, is looking at these people like they're morons. People are getting tired of this stuff. I don't know if you saw this yet, Lars. I haven't posted it yet. But You know, the Democrats treat January 6th like it's a national day of mourning. And this year, the pro-Hamas activists are now trying to co-opt that to be about Israel-Palestine. That's their new thing. They're planning on protesting across the country on Saturday, January 6th to mark the occasion. But what is it about? It's about giving the land of America and Israel back to its indigenous people. That's what they want to do. I mean, you should see this insanity, Lars.
2: I got to tell you, though, Ari, there was a lady who called in the other day and uh, no i'm sorry this happened during the christmas break it was at a, a get together at, at our neighbor's house and this lady was telling me she said well i'm concerned about the palestinian people i said you have mentioned the palestinians a few times can you tell me where their country is and she just looked at me and and i said can you tell me what the capital of that country is who's the president or prime minister and she just stared at me because she it just it she was deer in the headlights and i said I, and she, and earlier she'd been you know jawing about uh about the indigenous people of the United States and I said okay you can't have it both ways and she said what do you mean I said well your argument is that the Native Americans have a greater claim because they were here longer you know they came here earlier and she said they didn't come here they were just here and I thought oh, well I said no the, ar- the archaeologists say they came here nine or ten thousand years ago somewhere in that range and she said and she apparently was unaware of that and I said so we've been here Europeans have been here not as long they've been here longer they have a greater claim I said how long have the Jews been living in Israel? And uh, I said, isn't it about 4,000 years or so, at least 4,000 years documented in the most famous book on the planet? And uh, at that point, we we both moved off to other conversations, (laughs) which I think (laughs) discretion is the better part of valor, right?
8: Sure. Well, I'll tell you, there was a woman at Seattle Center who was handing out flyers who was trying to convince people of her cause. So I asked her if she wanted to be interviewed, and she said, yes, I'll make sure to send this clip to you. And when I asked her, when they chant from the river to the sea, what are they talking about? She said, I don't know, but it's very dramatic, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, they, these are the people you're talking about down there, Lars. They don't even know what they're protesting. There's a great movie that needs a remake.
2: You know what, Ari? I've got to cut it off at that point. That's my fellow talker, Ari Hoffman, from our Seattle affiliate, KBI. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show.
0: Good thing you can't transmit disease through the radio. Trust me, you don't want what he has. More with Lars Larson.
2: Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's easy. 866-HEY-LARS. And naysayers go to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. You can vote in our Twitter poll, at Lars Larson Show. Or you can go to my website, the vote counts the same, at LarsLarson.com. And you can send an email to talk at LarsLarson.com. And I always like to disclose my dog in the fight, I don't believe in suicide. And I happened to have been around when I saw the first government on planet Earth to formally legalize suicide. That was the state of Oregon that said, if you're terminally ill, if you can talk to your doctor, if you're not depressed, which seems kind of unlikely, if you're terminally ill. But if you're not depressed and you're making your own decisions, you are allowed, with the help of the state, to take your own life. Well, now this this idea has been expanding dramatically and to a large extent, uh, invisibly, because it doesn't get as much coverage as you might think it would. Canada has dramatically expanded opportunities for suicide and the definition of who's, li- who's uh, el- eligible, if you will, for suicide assisted by the state. Uh, Wesley Smith is a guy, though, who covers this thoroughly. He's an author and senior fellow at the Discovery Institute Center on Human Exceptionalism. And he brought to my attention something that makes this, uh, I guess, more, if if it's possible to be more disturbing than it already is, the Sarko Suicide Pod. Wesley, welcome back.
13: Thanks, Lars, and Happy New Year.
2: Happy New Year to you as well, and I hope it's a happier one at the end of this year and that we have fewer people pushing the idea of suicide for just about anybody. But would you mind telling my audience what this Sarco suicide pod is?
13: Sure. It it was invented by an Australian doctor named Philip Nitsky, uh, who has for decades uh, been pushing suicide uh, basically throughout the world. In fact, he uh, did an interview back in uh, 2000 or so with uh, Catherine Lopez of the uh, National Review saying he wanted suicide pills to be made available to troubled teenagers. This is how wild and radical this guy is, but the media love him, and every time he comes up with an idea for how to commit suicide uh, contraptions, they swarm him. In fact, I, I once went to Australia and busted him because he was selling. In the media, I, uh, I busted him because he was selling suicide bags for people to use. Well, now he's come up with what's called the suicide pod, where it's kind of like a a modernistic-looking coffin, right? And you go in there, and you answer a few questions, and if you decide to die, you get overdosed with nitrogen. And the idea behind this is that it'll be a pleasant way to die, and you can take the suicide pod to the redwoods and die amidst the redwoods and so forth. Of course, no suicide prevention, no attempt to... uh, um, talk somebody uh, into living rather than dying. And apparently Switzerland has given the stamp of approval of regulators to the suicide pod. Of course, we shouldn't be surprised because Switzerland allows suicide clinics where people fly in from all over the world, let's say in business class, pay $10,000 to be made dead and then fly home in the hold of the plane.
2: Unbelievable. And the Swiss government pays or allows these for-profit suicide clinics to operate?
13: Well, technically, they say they're not for profit, but wink, wink, right? Right. Um, Swiss government doesn't pay, but people pay. And, uh, for example, uh, there was an Italian elderly woman who got depressed because she was elderly. She went to the suicide clinic, had herself assisted in suicide, and the first the family knew about it was when they received her ashes in the mail. Uh, That's real compassion.
2: They hadn't talked to her family. She hadn't talked to her family. So why would the Swiss governments, uh, why are they seemingly so enthusiastic? Because having read the things you write, uh, I almost thought that Canada was leading the pack of the pro-suicide march.
13: Well, Switzerland actually, interestingly, legalized assisted suicide in 1942. Uh, And it wasn't part of the so-called right-to-die movement, from what I can discern, but they did that. And nobody really knew about it until the, um, you know, modern iteration of the euthanasia movement when, uh, as you said, Oregon first legalized assisted suicide. I thought it was the first jurisdiction to do that, but actually Switzerland was. But Switzerland is kind of a quirky libertarian country. They have a provision in their constitution, (laughs) believe it or not, that says that individual plants have dignity, And and they basically say this, uh, th- and they created a bioethics commission to explain why would individual plants have dignity, inherent worth, and it's because they share uh, molecular structures with us, and therefore it's unethical to what they call decapitate a wildflower. Uh, it's against the law in Switzerland to to flush a live goldfish down the toilet, uh, th- and they get they they really kind of go into this almost uh, woke kind of. Um, uh, uh, laws that are, that, are, that are just plain weird often. And I think the suicide clinics are also a, a weird iteration of this kind of uh, mindset.
2: I'm talking to Wesley Smith, who's both an author and a senior fellow at the Discovery Institute Center on Human Exceptionalism. I get into a lot of debates with callers who say, well, everybody should have the right to commit suicide. And I said, well, inherently you do. If a, an individual says, I want to commit suicide, there's really not much you can do to stop him. Uh, except perhaps for the laws that say it's illegal to attempt suicide or to commit suicide because that gives the law the ability to maybe pull you back from the brink. But when the state gets involved, and by that I mean the country, either Switzerland or the state that's authorized this, as a few states have done in America, they're saying... You can do it with our assistance and with our official sanction, which I think changes the whole equation from an individual who perhaps is despairing and then decides to take his or her own life. That's one thing. But when the state, which represents all of us, uh, says, well, you can do it and we'll help you do it. We'll give you a doctor who's licensed by us. We'll let him give you pharmaceuticals uh, which are licensed and, and authorized by us. That changes the whole complexion of the of the whole picture. Where is this all going to go?
13: Yeah, it, it actually is not about suicide. It's about a joint enterprise to make someone dead, and it allows privatized killing uh, that becomes legal. Um, where this is going to go is where it's gone in Germany, unless people decide they want to put their foot down and say, you know, this is not a good idea. Germany, Germany's highest court basically said there is a fundamental constitutional right in Germany to commit suicide For any reason and for any purpose, you don't have to have. This is, by the way, Nitsky's um, belief. He thinks that uh, that he has a radical belief that you have an absolute right to commit suicide for any reason, for any purpose, and to get any kind of help you want. Well, that's what the German court said. You have a right to suicide. You have a right... Uh, without reason, without regard to reason. It's all about personal autonomy. And as an ancillary part of that, you have a right to assistance. And if people want to assist, they have a constitutional right to assist. In other words, death on demand. That's where this leads. This is a very nihilistic and dark movement that is pro-suicide. We're no longer an anti-suicide society in the West. We are now pro-some suicides. And we're moving toward just being plain old pro-suicide. The only real suicides that people get exercised about anymore are teen suicides and uh, suicides of vets, veterans. But, you know, it's kind of a mixed message when you say, no, no, don't commit suicide, you're a veteran, but I have cancer. Oh, here are your pills. It's it's an incredible uh, paradox
10: there.
2: Well, and and then this, I know that people think, well, it'll stop. It'll only involve those who are terminally ill uh, uh, and that sort of thing. But that's not where Canada's gone. Haven't they gone well beyond that?
13: Well, Switzerland has, Belgium has, Netherlands has, and Canada has. And in Canada, Belgium, and Netherlands, you can be lethally injected. It's not suicide. It's homicide. It's legal homicide where the doctor or certified nurse practitioner lethally injects you. For any kind of illness that you believe causes, and it's all subjective, irremediable suffering, disability, frail elderly, the Netherlands and uh, uh, Belgium allow the mentally ill to be euthanized, and then sometimes their organs are harvested because they've got healthy organs. Canada is about to allow mentally ill people to be euthanized uh, this year. It was supposed to start last year, but they delayed it a year. Canada also conjoins euthanasia with, uh um with um, uh organ harvesting and yep. now we've been seeing stories out of Canada where people cannot because of the socialized medical system can't get access to oncologists when they're diagnosed with cancer so they're asking for euthanasia
2: unbelievable that is wesley smith from the discovery institute center on human exceptionalism wesley thank you very much you're listening to the lars larsen show and the radio northwest network
4: The Lars Larson show Calling all men and the people who love
0: Except your First Amendment right every single day. This is Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I got to tell you something, Claudine Gay,
2: now the former president of Harvard University, she loses that job, but she keeps her gig at America's oldest university and her nearly $900,000 paycheck, so it's not like she's losing an awful lot. And now she's running around saying to everybody who'll listen that this is all about her skin color, that she's being pushed out because she's black not because she's incompetent not because she's a plagiarist not because she had some really twisted views of anti-semitism on the harvard campus no it's because of her skin color of course so i thought we'd talk about that with mike gonzalez senior fellow at the heritage foundation and author of the book blm the making of a new marxist revolution mike welcome back and happy new year
12: Hey, how's it going? Uh, Happy New Year to you, man. It's great to hear your voice so early in the year. Well, I guess it's going well because
2: Claudine Gay is gone as president, but it doesn't answer the question of why was she hired to begin with? And and have they or will they straighten out the screwed up things that are going on in American universities, not just the private ones like Harvard, but the rest of them as well?
12: Well, if left by themselves, they won't do it, but if pushed by by public opinion and, and, and uh, the political class, they'll have no other choice than by donors. And there's, there's a lot of evidence that that is happening, that the donor money's moving, the donor class is moving, that public opinion is, is finally swinging our way and saying, wait a second, what we have been doing with universities um, has been a, a really bad idea. What we have been doing since the 80s, which is teaching future generations to look at everything through the oppressor versus oppressed uh, prism, narrative and that has been that has produced horrible results um uh and and we have seen that what happened to to quoting gay and what happened to liz mcgill at the university of pennsylvania who lost her job uh in december uh was that it was a result of, of of the you know the, the the members of the house and the committee on education and the workforce going after them after they had a horrific testimony and by horrific i mean that when they were asked whether uh, uh, calling for calling for the, the the Holocaust, the genocide of the Jews, uh, violated Harvard's uh, uh, standards, she said it was it depended on the context. How on earth can that depend on the context to call for the genocide of anybody, uh, including Jews? Um,
11: no. She was
12: also accused of. There were fifty credible charges of plagiarism. So, look, I'm, I don't care that she's getting $900,000. I really don't. It's, 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 I, when Harvard wastes his money, I'm, I'm, I'm actually kind of happy. I'm glad that she's gone as president, and I think the wind is blowing in our favor, Lars.
2: Well, I, and I, I'm with you on that, that, that if, if they're losing private donors, but you know what they're not losing that I would cut them off of tomorrow? I'd love to have some members yeah. of Congress say, um, hey, by the way, my last check, the last number I could find, Mike, it's about a year old is that Harvard gets federal funding. You know, they're a private university, but they get money for research and grants and things like that. Two-thirds of a billion dollars of taxpayer money is going to Harvard. Should an institution that is that thoroughly corrupt be getting a single dime from the American taxpayers, especially given that they have a multi, I think a multi $30, 40000000000 billion endowment? Why are they getting a dime of federal money?
12: Lars? large. They get more money in federal taxpayer money than they get in, in, in tuition. They get a lot of money uh, from the taxpayer, whether it's the taxpayers of, of their state in Massachusetts, in the case of Harvard, or, or you and I, who are federal taxpayers. So, you know, absolutely. And that's why I'm so, I'm so happy that Virginia Fox, the, 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 the chairman of the, of the committee, of the Committee on Education and the Workforce, announced uh, yesterday that the investigation she had launched into Harvard will continue. This, 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 getting rid of uh, Claudine Gay as president will not end the investigation.
2: Well, and, and here's a question I've got about her choice to begin with. I mean, from a distance, and feel free to correct me, Mike, because you're, you're a great friend of the show, and I know you'll correct me if you think I'm wrong, but she was an affirmative action hire. They decided that she checked at least two boxes, well, maybe three if you count her politics, skin, color, and gender, and the, the committee decided to hire her, and yet apparently she's been the subject of accusations, valid accusations, it seems, of plagiarism for literally decades, and yet a committee at Harvard decided to pick her and make her president of the university.
12: Now, you said three things. You you okay. mentioned her sex, she's a woman, you mentioned, mentioned her race, she's black, and you mentioned her political I uh, believe uh, I think that the the argument that, yes, she was fake because of all three attributes, it's hard to we will never going to know for sure. Right? right. But her 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 publishing record was was very meager. She only had 11 published uh, articles in journals
0: and no book.
12: Uh, she and no book. So she was very meager. Uh, there, there was the, the, the 50 allegations of plagiarism. But I think the important of the three that you mentioned. The important one is her political leanings. Carol Swain, who's also a woman, who's also an African American, uh, would not be appointed. And she's a, she's a, an academic who has never been charged with plagiarism, uh, an accomplished academic. I know her. She was with me on the seventeen seventy six commission. She will never become president of Harvard. Why? Because she's a conservative. <laughs> uh, so so. So this is, you know, what matters to them is political beliefs. The color that matters is red. They're cultural Marxists.
2: Yeah, and the, and the thing is, if people say, well, what business is it of yours, Lars? Um, I, I would make it my business because of that two-thirds of billion dollars. If they were like, say, Hillsdale College, which is a college I admire, i get nothing from Hillsdale, never gone there, uh, don't have any kids or grandkids there. Uh, But Hillsdale College is a good, solid institution. They refuse every single dime of of federal and state and government money altogether because they want to keep themselves, you know, ideologically clean of federal government influence so they don't take a single dime. Harvard could do that tomorrow and just live off its endowment.
12: Harvard is a leading cultural institution in the United States. I disagree with you that we shouldn't care if we don't send our children there. I care greatly because I'm an American. You're an American. You should care greatly what happens at Harvard. Harvard is a leading institution. It produces a lot of Supreme Court justices. It produces a lot of presidents. Its reach is, 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 is incredible. And it will continue to be. So we should care greatly about what Harvard does
2: point uh, that that's a good point mike and all i was saying is i have people occasionally say call the show and say why is this any of your business they're a private institution yeah except they're a private institution that gets more money i mean if i'm concerned about planned parenthood getting a half a billion or the corporation for public broadcasting to fund the you know the liberal nonsense over at npr and they get a half a billion and harvard's up at two-thirds of a billion they're at least as big a concern as those other two
12: Absolutely. Although um, we can do two things at the same time. We can also defund NPR.
2: Yeah, well, I would I would do that in a heartbeat. You want to save some money, take, take that money away and say you can live on the private sector like the rest of us do. But you're right about her history. I, yeah, for the life of me, I'd love to see the notes of that committee, you know, where they said, we're going to choose this woman. Really? What has she written? Well, 11 articles in the last couple of decades. And you say... <laughs> It would be like me doing a once-a-year talk show for an hour and and calling myself a talk show host. She's not much of an academic if she's not doing any research, if she's not writing, and if she's and if the charges are true, 50 instances of plagiarism, and she's only produced 11 articles. Does that mean that virtually everything that, she, that she's ever published was uh, was stolen from somebody else? Some of them, other African American academics who had their work stolen by this woman. Is a terrible situation. Mike Gonzalez is the author of BLM, The Making of a New Marxist Revolution. He's a good friend of the show. Mike, thanks very much, and Happy New Year. Back in a moment, I'll get to your phone calls and emails at 866-HEY-LARS. Naysayers go to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. So tell Alexa to play The Lars Larson Show. And check me out on
0: Instagram. to adjust your volume. He's just that loud. Lars Larson.
7: Do you believe that a border wall is part of the answer? Yes or no? No. No.
2: No. Now, that was a question asked by Senator Katie Britt of Alejandro Mayorkas who is the Secretary of Homeland Security. And you can tell that she's up against a kind of a wall herself because she's asking the head of Homeland Security, do you believe that building a wall on America's southern border is part of the answer to this massive invasion of illegal aliens who've been coming into America? There's a lot there. But let me tell you what's happened most recently, and I don't want to invite your phone calls. What's happened within the last few hours is that we've learned that the House of Representatives at long last and as far as I'm concerned, way too late, has finally decided to proceed with impeachment hearings against Secretary Mayorkas, who I think richly deserves to be impeached from his federal job. That's what the purpose of impeachment is. In any case, let me talk about that in a moment. First, if you want to join the best conversation and talk journalism, it's right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line. If you want to send an email instead, talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, you can always vote in our poll on X. Uh used to be called Twitter, now it's the X, so uh, we're calling it the Poll on X. In any case, the question is there every day at Lars Larson Show. You can also find it on my website at LarsLarson.com. So you have a United States senator asking questions of the Secretary of Homeland Security. That is the job of the Congress. The Congress has not just the authority to do oversight on federal agencies, they have the responsibility, and they are different. Authority and responsibility. They're asking the questions, and what does Majorca say? No, a wall is not the answer. This is kind of like all of the answers that Mayorkas has been offering up. I believe that he has lied to the United States Congress, that he has facilitated the illegal entry into America of literally millions of illegal aliens. And if you say, well, he was just following orders from Joe Biden. Yeah, but just following orders, that's one of those things that didn't work at Nuremberg. It doesn't work today. So when you have the Secretary of Homeland Security telling the Congress, as he's told them over and over again, we have a secure border. But then then what he wants to talk about, I want to run that soundbite called broken because Mayorkas run something. And I'll tell you the kind of code that he's speaking in. So the soundbite is broken. Would you play that one, please, Joel?
10: We
3: we are dealing with fundamentally we're dealing with a broken immigration system and that includes the asylum process
2: now let me tell you why that sounds like a good answer it is hogwash because here's what Mayorkas is saying there are liberals and progressives in america who believe that anybody in the world of the eight billion people on this planet who want to come to america should be able to allow be allowed to come into america in numbers that they decide not that america decides in other words Anybody who wants to come should be allowed to come in. And when he says it's a broken broken process, including the asylum process, that's hogwash as well. We have a very healthy in-migration to the United States. We allow more than one million people every single year, and we have for a couple of decades allowed one million people plus every single year to come to America legally, to get a green card, to work, and if they... You know, don't go out and commit crimes. And if they study the uh, citizenship test, they can take the test. They can take the oath of citizenship and they can become American citizens. That is more generous by proportion than every other good country on this planet. And when I say good country, I know some people are going to get their backs up. But what I mean by that is any country you'd actually want to move to. And when people say, well, what are you disparaging some of those countries as uh, something less than ideal? Yeah. I am. I'm suggesting that not too many people say I'd like to move to Cuba or I'd like to move to Venezuela or I'd like to move to Russia or North Korea or South Korea or even China. Uh, you don't find a lot of people saying one of these days I hope I can retire to Sudan or Yemen or maybe Saudi Arabia. Not too many people. And yet there are at least hundreds of millions of people, maybe even billions of people on this planet who, if they thought they could come to the United States of America, They understand what a wonderful country this is and can be again when Joe Biden is no longer the president. But uh, when he says it's a broken asylum process, the asylum process is very simple. If you come to the United States, if you come to a a border uh, point, an entry point, and you say, I am fleeing persecution in my own country and I've, I've come here to your country and I'd like to get asylum. All you have to do is show that you are under some kind of persecution in your home country, persecution because race, religion, national origin, skin color, any of those. Now, if you merely come to the border and say, hey, I wanna make more money by working in America, that doesn't get you asylum. If you say, my country has a lot of crime and violence in it, that doesn't get you in. What gets you in is actual persecution. And how do I know that? Because the Congress wrote that into a law. And if the Congress had wanted to say, Anybody who wants to come to America should be able to come to America. They would have written that in the law. They specifically did not. So guess what? Now we've got a problem where we're coming up on three years of Joe Biden. And in those three years, more than nine million people have illegally crossed our southern border. And some of them have been sent back, a very small number, but a great many of them are still in the United States. And in the month of December alone, we hit a brand new record peak More than 303,000 people crossed illegally into America that we know of. We've added 9 million people. And what has it done? Cities where they're literally diverting resources from the needs of actual citizens to take care of the crimes, the health care needs, the feeding, the housing, and everything else of literally millions of illegal aliens. In California, California has now decided we're going to sign up all of the illegal aliens for medicare for medicaid and this is also being done in about a dozen other states in america and if you say well who's paying for that lars i can tell you who's paying for it you're paying for it i'm paying for it american citizens are paying to provide free medical care and if you thought there was a giant invasion last year and the year before that and the first year of joe biden just wait until they find out you can come to america they'll give you thousands of dollars when you reach the border. And uh, and they'll say, here, here's an airplane ticket that goes anywhere in America. We can then go to their biggest cities, and their cities will actually divert resources from their own citizens to pay for us. So guess what happens when somebody like Senator John Kennedy, a good Republican of Louisiana, is asking questions of Mayorkas? Play that one, please.
8: How many members of Hamas have come into our country across the southern border?
3: Uh, Senator, I'm not aware of a member of Hamas crossing the border
2: and he's not aware of it because they're not checking they're not vetting the people who come into this country at all now if you come in legally through the green card process you get vetted very very thoroughly if you show up at the border the border patrol just writes you a ticket says show up for court in a few years in the meantime here's some cash here's an airplane ticket welcome to america you get free medical care paid for by the citizens now If citizens are willing to tolerate that kind of nonsense, then I guess so be it. But I'm not, and I'll bet a lot of you aren't either. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com.
4: The Lars Larson Show.